in conversation with Aviral Bhardwaj, a continuation from our last episode. So you keep mentioning your desire to want a one-of-a-kind car. Do you think this um, want to be unique and to stand out exists in like other spheres of your life also? Yeah, very much. Very much. Yeah, felt quite um, prominently, I'd say. Especially, uh, like, especially when it comes not not academics. I not that's not my thing. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to um, debating and arguing, that I have to be one of the best. I have to be someone whose arguments are heard and something that people can take back after they've witnessed. Something that they can embrace, and you know, that's what makes us different as humans. Like that's our viewpoints. And if someone can embrace my viewpoint, and you know, if it helps them build that viewpoint. And you know, make it one of a kind. That would be the best thing that could possibly happen to me and to them. When you're a public speaker, when you yeah. when used to addressing audiences, okay, you're expect you just like you know you you have that feeling that you want to look at the eyes of like the people in the first row and like you know like find one person to look at in the middle of your speech. And then like these online, I've been doing quite a few online events of late. Like I I go in for at the center and like. It's weird when you look at your own face and you don't know what to say. You lose all your confidence. You're like, okay, am I even talking? Is anyone receiving this? Because when you when you public speak, when you public speak, right, you know that someone is receiving it. You can tell yeah. that by facial expressions. And here you're just there, looking at yourself. I'm like, okay, fine. Are people receiving this? What is the reaction? And then anxiety kills you. It genuinely kills you. But like, does no one have their like video camera? Okay, fine. So I've been using Webex, and the thing with Webex is I did not know the gallery view until today. <laughs> but I was on that view, but I was like just stuck to my screen, and that made me—it made me want to kill myself in the moment. So, do you have like a specific trick or something that you do to ensure you speak well on stage? Like you said, you look at the first row to like gauge the reaction. Um. Yeah. So it's all about. Timing. See, honestly, the one thing that I feel that I feel that people do, and they mess up with their um, speeches or when they're addressing an audience is when they just start speaking very fastly, and they just want they just, they just feel like they have that constant urge to get done with it rather than actually you know put some emotions in it. So every time I every time I uh, mentored like a few of like you know my juniors to go on stage like at Gordon's we used to have like allocutions where our seniors would train you like almost on a daily basis before the competition because that was taken very very seriously there so what what I used to tell my juniors is the stage is yours for that given time period three minutes it's your time no one's going to take it from you and might as well just make the most out of it have fun and just make sure that every second that goes by you know, they feel your presence, and they rem- and it's something memorable, something that they remember. And that's extremely important. That and some people just and like usually, usually I I'm not blaming people. It's just human tendency that if you're scared to put yourself in some situation, mm-hmm. you just start speaking really fast, and you really want to get over with it. You want to get done with it because I've been in this situation before. And the one thing that I've noticed is that you take it slow. And just listen to yourself, and you know, give it, give every word the justice that it deserves. 
that sounds like something that would take a lot of prep, but you don't prep too much before going up on stage. I think you've seen that. <laughs> yeah, he makes so much fun of me for prepping before going on stage. Yeah, so going on stage, okay, I think this is Kisa, Idha, had post-its full of... Wait, I have it, I'll show you. Like, I use this yellow pad for everything in my life. <laughs> It's so, like, including my speeches. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> so you have that whole yellow pad, you have that pad, just to write down your points. Except no, Idha wrote her entire speech on it. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. But yeah. Wait, so do you write down your points or do you just wing it? No, I actually, so this one thing about me is that I do write down, like I do write a speech, like I properly write a full-fledged speech before I go up on stage. And then when I'm practicing and when I'm rehearsing with myself, I make small edits here and there. And then I put it in the final yellow sheet, like the post-it sheet that I carry around. And you could you just go on stage. And if you, and the thing is, okay, by the time I'm done with my rehearsal, I think I, I would have rehearsed like four or five times. And by that time it is etched in my mind because I know what I'm talking about. I know where I have to go with it. And that's, and that's because, and then I'm just confident that, yeah, I know my flow and I'll get there. But you just, it's just to have like for a backup, you know, like that yellow sheet. And for some reason, I think this happened before the election speech. And um, I was just getting a little tense in my mind. And I was like, okay, fine, I need to break this. So I tore off my election speech and I tore off the, the, the points wala um, sheet. And it felt very relieving. I mean, it, ha- it works for me. I don't think it works for anyone else. Because... People, they tell her, she's like, oh my god, I, I won't be able to remember this now. What, what am I going to do on stage? For me personally, it's very relieving because now I'm not bound by any sheet. I can just do go do whatever I want to do. It's true though. It's kind of like, it's it's making an image in your brain. Like it's basically telling your brain you're on your own, so you better work now. So actually like a huge neuroscience thing behind it. But. Probably, but that, the way you spread it sounds like, you know, you're pressurizing your brain. The way yeah, I tell- exactly. Yeah. My brain is you don't have any pressure to remember anything, so just go off. So that that's my side of like the coin. And you don't worry about going off into the wrong direction. I don't. I think this happened with my debate speech in twelfth grade, where uh, I don't think Ida was there. Uh, I I think I spoke for three minutes when the time limit was two. I went off. Like I I felt so strongly about something that I just went off. I did not see. If, you know, I was like, okay, fine. And and the and the thing is like the. I think the, I forget what they are called, um, the timers, they were just ringing the bell, ting, 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 ting. I was like speaking without any stop. <laughs> and then I apologized. I remember this. Yeah, I, was, I clearly remember my speech was three minutes and I was like, I, and I'm not, like, I don't regret that. I, I might have lost that, but I don't regret it Yeah, two all. minutes is too less. It's too less, yeah. Debates like around the world are at least four minutes. At least four minutes. Yeah. And now that you guys like are experienced speakers, you guys kind of do like agree that on stage time is just a different concept, right? Two minutes on stage and two minutes on normal ground is not the same. It's not. It's like you have, you know, you know, the, you know what you say when you, it's like, you know, that plank minute where you're just standing there in yeah. the plank <laughs> minute. Standing That's in a plank. Standing in a plank. Ah, Yes. <laughs> Not standing. What's the what's the terminology? When you're, when you're in like, a plank, that's it. Fine, fine. <laughs> yeah, when you're in that situation, it feels like the longest sixty seconds ever. Yeah. 
that's my life in general and when i'm on stage it's just like everybody fine time get over there's a certain thrill you get from being on stage though yeah i love the stage i i i, I honestly even if i have zero preparation the stage is some place i'd be like i honestly would not your mind being on stage even if i have nothing to say i just i'll find something but i just like find that whole process you know exhilarating literally every product in every industry has animal cruelty as part of it i mean there's like like have been yeah. attacked animals for well, you might as well die uh, exactly <laughs> dude that's what there's one this one theory that i believe in is survival of the fittest you need to like exploit oppress some other forms of life just to make sure that you are surviving for the greater good the life of one is more important and is less important than the life of the masses But and like that's a very easy. Not surviving, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. But then, can you really renounce everything that you're used to right now? No. Okay. I I can't. I can't. I'll have to be born into seclusion. Like, like I really. Yeah, like my favorite shoes and my leather boots. I'm not giving them up. <laughs> How much? Uh, <laughs> I'm into animal shoes. Oh yeah. Get out. Like, I, I'm. I, I love animals. Like my shoes are all leather, and I just love them so much. Like I'm not gonna wear flip flops around places. Mumbai girls are hurt. I love flip flops. I don't get why people don't wear them. There's a See, flip flops have a certain mood. Either you're like you're dressed like a hobo and you have to go grocery shopping because your mom told you to, or you're like you know meeting up with your friends for like ice cream late at night. There's just those are the two moods, like the two ends. Or you're at a beach. So, or you're at a beach. Yeah, acceptable. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, I just do not appreciate people who show up to restaurants in flip flops. Like, please. Have the courtesy for some decency. Like the I mean, what? you might be comfortable and shit, but please, <laughs> I don't want to see your toes and like you know. Ugh. Anti-foot fetish, it seems. No, but ugh. I absolutely hate it when people show up to even grocery stores in their night shoes. You could at least change. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> that is not Maybe a night. You can see the weird uh, animal prints. Yeah, and, like yeah. the weird spell. Right. I'm just glad people don't like wear one piece and come out. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I think Indians are too poor to wear ones. That's why. That's why I wear jeans at home. Even at home, I'm just like, oh, fine, jeans are better. It's like I feel productive. It's like feeling decent. Jeans are like, I mean, they're easy to wear, but they're like not jeans. Okay, fine. I'm a guy. I really don't have a lot of options where I can wear it home, except track pants and jeans. They're short. You can wear like sports shorts. Shorts. I wear shorts only when I'm playing sports because they're sports shorts. It's just. I mean, they're comfy. But I guess people yeah. who wear night suits outside could also support the argument like that. Be like, comfy. Exactly. No, but see, sports shorts. Whole like sports shorts. Sports <laughs> shorts hold like a certain level of dignity because, like, maybe you're athletic and like people respect that. 
But no one respects anyone who can't get up there, you know, sleeping first. Honestly, yeah. uh, there's a reason I really don't like wearing sports shorts when I'm not playing sports. So, like, half the school, I didn't turn up and let my piece. So I didn't like it. I like my uniform more. I felt more productive. I felt nice. So, I love one. That's a different reason. <laughs> <laughs> this guy risked the diary note for formality. Oh, diary note, PP's office, principal's office. Anyway, fine. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a good I, I have never said I hate being here. I've literally searched on my WhatsApp and it's nothing. Implied. That's it. It was something. <laughs> Hey, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. I have, I have, I have this feeling where like, few people have mistaken my confidence in my ego, and uh, they felt that I'm a very egoistic person because in confidence, the way I hold my, like the way I talk, and that's really unfair to me. And that's probably why a lot of people had prejudiced notions against me, even though I've never spoken to a few, a lot of people from my grade, but I've never spoken to had something against me, even though I've never spoken. And that's what bashed so much. Like, just because of the way I myself, you can take it. And it makes sense. I think it's a high school thing to get influenced by other people's opinions and make them your own opinions. And that just gets, like, wide fast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I was saying that, like, it's, 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 I think, I forgot the technical term for it, but it's basically whatever the mass... Whereas, like, this popular opinion, the mass follows blindly. And that's something that's not fair. And that's something that, as I was talking about the cancel culture, that's a lot of the cancel culture. Because wherever the masses go, people will follow. Their opinions will be based on the masses. Because not a lot of people like having a different opinion from the masses. Because then they will be like, then they'll be scared that they get cancelled. Hmm. And it's just human tendency. I think that's just what it is. It's a mob mentality. That's the word. Mob mentality. Huh. I guess it's more of, a, of like an expression issue rather than feeling it. Because you can't really dictate what you feel at first. Your first impression is what you just come up with. You can't think through it. Yeah, I agree. But if your first impression is from someone else who has spoken to you about this certain person, you already have a judged notion about this person. Definitely. And you're just creating that assuming heart. Because I've heard people who... who I've heard, I speak to people who tell me that, oh my god, I've heard so much stuff about you in the beginning, but you're generally not like that. You're so different. And I'm like, oh, thank you. But they've already had that notion in their mind that I'm not like this. So breaking away from that notion is effort in itself that people might be happy to take or just won't be accepting. So I believe you should actually judge someone based on the second impression. You don't know what conditioned them to feel what they thought at this at the on first instance. But whatever they like correct on the first impression, that really shows who they are as a person. It's just how humans are. So I really don't think that we can change this whole thing. I mean, yeah. we can do a small bit ourselves, but changing changing seven people, seven billion people I believe in ideology is extremely hard. I think in high school, it's also because there's lack of self-identity. So you just tend to conform to whatever opinion is out there. Self-identity and uh, the part of being, you know, a certain part which 
um, obligates you to uh, to find your people or you know just uh, be a part of a team. Intro. Yeah. So uh, that plays a big role, just to have you know similarities with a few people, and you know to have acceptability, and that plays a major role. Um, a mistake more than twice is um, an intention or something, something on those lines. It, I think it stuck with me. Yeah, I think like from my respect, uh, getting to know Avira like properly was like, pretty like fulfilling, I guess, to see that there's like a different perspective. So I think if other people did that too, like, you know, had like a mindset that was open enough to like accept others and see, like judge them for themselves based on their own interactions. It will be like really interesting and fulfilling for them also. I'm just really, it just, I mean, I was a victim to that. And um, I really, that was one reason why feeling was just horrible for me because like a certain segment of people just, I could feel that they don't like, and they made it very obvious towards a later segment of people. And, and honestly, it's not the school. The school is fantastic. Like I didn't expect the teachers and the administration. There are just a few people, and I, I think it's completely fair. It's just a process. Like but a few people just made it really hard for me to go around anywhere. Like I think there is a section in my grade. I think it's the twelve. Um, I'm not. I'm not gonna specify. It's one class in twelfth grade. They called. They, they were being home definitely, and I feel that just. The, that preconceived notion in was I think in the beginning somewhere would have played a pretty big role in determining their ideas and their opinions about it. It's just something you have to do with it. I mean, there's only so much you can cry about it. Uh, beyond that, you just have to move on. That's how everything works. So there's a certain level of motivation speakers too. Doing very well. I mean, they are genuinely inspiring. But there are some kind of motivational speakers, or some kind of motivational posts on Instagram that make no sense. That makes no sense. I came across one post the other day that said that uh, if if I gave you an option to jump off a jump off a plane without a parachute, uh, would you take it? Would you do it? Uh, and then the person like was like, no. And what if I told you the plane was on the ground? I was like, still no, because like a plane is 50 feet high. I don't want to jump and break my face in the process. So there are weird kind of things on Instagram as well. So I just think that it has to be filtered. I mean, you really can't filter what people say, but you know, your choice has to be filtered as to what motivates you. Because some sort of motivation is not applicable to everyone. It's um, I like I like I like I like optimistic motivation, which talks about um, a brighter side and how to get there. Like I really I really. There are some people who like being, you know, insulted and being told that, okay, fine, what, what are you doing, man? You're absolute shit. And that's motivating for them because they have to prove someone else wrong. But that doesn't work for me first. Because I like, I like to, I like to, you know, I like to be, uh, I like to be really, uh, I like to be encouraged, like, about my progress and be told that, okay, fine, you can do much better if you continue down this path or if you change your thing a little bit. I like that kind of motivation, more than, like, discouraging motivation. So that's also a thing. Yeah, easier. Yeah, don't talk about that, sir, because that's going to give me like an identity crisis. Yeah. I've had too much of an identity crisis this quarantine. I normally do. Like I have one scheduled each week, but this time I had none. 
I'm living it. I feel like quarantine, I mean, sure, people are out there having a bad time, but for us, not laymen. I mean, I think it's a good thing. I love this. It's so much more productive than going to school. This part you can't put in. But (laughs) I feel like like, this quarantine isn't that great for people who work under pressure because there is no pressure. Mm. Yeah. FM chat dude. But Avil, don't you work better with like last minute deadlines and pressure? It really depends on stuff. Like, you know, with school you don't have a choice. You have that deadline. And like it's not that I don't like to do. But when I'm exploring myself, trying to come up with new ideas, having a deadline just kills me. So like okay, fine, no. I'll just do a shoddy job and leave it. And that's not acceptable. I don't think that's yeah. true. The representation of what I'm capable of doing. So I don't like to have deadlines when I'm thinking something that I'm trying to come up with things, but if it's something that everyone can do, it's like projects and stuff, then I'll okay, find deadlines fine. Like I really don't have to put in much of an effort or you know, indulge my creativity and such as that okay, fine. Yeah, okay. And yeah, that's deadlines mess with your creative flow. I think that's why I just did not really like science because I really could not explore my creativity in it because I didn't I didn't have like a lot of basics. Like I just could not develop new questions or you know find new questions to ask and that's why I just was like okay fine I'll just get done with it now aren't you like a science student don't you do you want to like follow up like contradict that no it's not for everyone I mean I guess I have a different line of thinking because I have a lot of questions when it comes down to science but it's just how people are you can't like feel bad about it at the same time, I don't think being in science really affected my love for other subjects. Like, I may not be as good as this guy, but I do enjoy my philosophy and my art and my history. So, it's not about being good, it's just about you know, enjoying it and liking it. Yeah, and so I'm taking like, this quarantine as like a great um, incentive to just learn and learn and learn about stuff I usually can't. Exactly. That's what school gives the most, right? Joy of learning. Like, there's this wonderful book called Silk Roads. I don't think I could have ever picked it up during school, but now I can actually read it, so. I want, I, I really wanted to read books. Like, there's this one book that's been sitting in my library for quite a while. It's called uh, Ulysses by James Joyce. I really want to read it, but I can't. Because I don't have time. It's all fine. I'll find some time, sometimes. I think you have enough time, especially if you want to take a gap here now. Yeah. We have like all the opportunities yeah. to read. Yeah, but like then I have to compromise sleep and shell shock on already very comfortable sleep. Giving up one of them would be pretty hard. I, I guess that I do have a lot of time with like I'm taking gap here and stuff. But honestly, my first priority is epicenter. If anything takes up my time for epicenter, then I would not be really happy with it. I mean, it's by doing something new. And I don't think your addiction to uh, shell shock should last very long. I mean, it is it's a addiction. It's not an addiction. It's a one-hour stress bust. I mean, it's my way of just going to bed with a peaceful mind with nothing on it. And then they say games are violent. I mean, <laughs> you're killing eggs with harmless. Considering I'm eggless, I would, it's probably like violent for me. Wait, did you just say I'm eggless? 
Yeah, I'm going to get sick of that. Like, pure fat? What do I call that? I'm not vegan, but I'm not vegetarian anymore. Um, I think it's a nice. Vegetarian, yeah. I mean, by Indian standards, not eating egg is vegetarian. But for Thai people, eating fish is vegetarian. Huh. Or like Bengali. Goody, Baba. Baba, matcha jol chahiye. But yeah, Bengali food is like my favorite Indian food. Uh, so, makes sense. Anything like dal, sabji, dal, makhani, naan, anything else. No right. I can't really make up my mind. Like, I I don't mean to sound like you know not south, but anything north is good. South gets a good reputation. Exactly, both are south. Like you have so many different dals, but you have one south bird. Is better than Delhi in all of those ways, I guess. See, Delhi Bangalore. in certain places has very good momos. Like in the Delhi uh, yeah, is better. Let's just let's just finish it there. Oh hell! Bangalore. Yeah. Bangalore. Okay, Bangalore. Bangalore. But even Delhi has better food. Food in general. In general. Like, have you have you yeah, had think... like the lachhe parathe with kulche? Then lachhe parathe with kulche. I say egg rolls. I miss. I mean, now I can't. But like, I miss egg rolls the most when I came. But I guess you can still have like a cheat day sort of thing, or are you completely off it? No, my ideology with egg is I'll eat egg if there's no option. Like last time when I was in Manila, there was like nothing pure veg. Like egg was their veg, right? So I had to eat like egg over there. I mean, I really don't. I I don't mind egg that much, particularly on the front. I just live to it. I don't know. There's a lot of people who just don't care. There's yeah, some people I who don't even consider humans to be animals, which is beyond me. <laughs> like just because you can, you know, build a yeah. building and you can use a smartphone doesn't mean you're not an animal. It's still more developed version of an animal. Still developed, but nonetheless an animal. Yeah, I'm really holding back on this. <laughs> I'm not gonna still eat animals. I think if you're doing it, then like don't eat it. And that's why if I'm like listening to anyone about like animal rights related stuff, I don't really try to do my part. Like definitely, I watch like watch like skincare brands and all. It's impossible to be a good person in this world. <laughs> like like you yeah, will end up doing something bad against someone yeah. or something. So kind of just live your life. This ignorance is bliss sometimes, but it, it is. Because so, when you look up the list of unethical brands, it's every brand in the world. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. Our series ends here.